Welcome back, everyone, to the Crash the Pond podcast. It's it's good to be back with you all. It's been a fun last week of Ducks hockey, I would say. I would argue. The Ducks, though, coming off a pretty tough loss tonight. So after they had their long winning streak, they have now lost two games in a row, a two-game skid. Uh, this one tonight against the Nashville Predators. So that rivalry being revived a little bit tonight with some uh, some spice, some tension on the ice, the Ducks lose 3-2. to two. So we will actually do a little bit of a recap on that game, and then we will talk about the last week, talk about some news and notes, and just give you everything that we've got here. Jake, I, I hope you're ready for this. I, I'm a little disappointed to announce that Jake has officially come off of the Mai Tai Monday bit. I'm outing you right away. I'm I think sorry. It re- I think that bit legitimately like only lasted like a very small period of time. This is the problem, though. Um, this is, this so is the I problem, feel- Jake, is is that you come in hot with these bits and make them a big thing. You don't get to just then walk it back. The, the people accept, expect more from you. And now we might I'm be sorry. having technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying trying to figure it out, you know. I'm, I'm seeing we're dropping frames left and right. I'm not quite sure what's happening here and how that's happening. So uh, let us know if you're watching this in, on Twitch how it is. I'm, I'm not really quite sure what would be the cause of that. So I'll figure it out as we go like I typically do. Um, but, yeah, you know, I've transitioned because, I mean, part of it is I don't have any Mai Tais, to be honest, in the fridge. And uh-huh. the other thing is um, I felt like transitioning to uh, Margarita Monday, okay. at least for this week. You, what I like about this is that despite the fact that yes, you you have come off the bit, and I do hold that against you, you are you are pivoting into another bit. So at the end of the day, you're still you're still doing mm-hmm. a bit, and we still appreciate that. We still enjoy that from you. It's it's a there dyna- you dynamic. Bit. There you go. Yeah. For some. By the way, you you've buried the lead on actually what like today's holiday is. Well, actually, sorry, not today. When everyone's listening to this podcast tomorrow. Oh. It's Felix's birthday. Ah, oh, well, there you go. So wish me a happy birthday, everyone, uh, once you listen to this. Um, <laughs> all all, uh, all of you out there, yeah, just uh, just hit me up, you know? It, it, it's not like I want to hear happy birthday from as many people as possible or anything like that. Yeah, so make sure on Twitter tomorrow, m- mention Felix. Just say happy birthday to him, you know, call him a bit of an old man. Yeah. He's not 30 yet. Yeah, I, 29, 29 so fine. Uh, you know, I've, I've made fun of Jake once he hit his, his dirty 30. Uh, I am now on the clock one year, one year, one year until I cross that, that plane. So I guess, I don't know, Jake, do you have any advice for me as a former 29 year old, uh, you know, for, for, for the year 29, for my age 29 season? Um, don't have part of your age 29 season or actually sorry most of your age 29 season happened in the global pandemic where you can't really do a whole lot and you feel (laughs) like you spend all of your last year of your 20s inside how about that okay okay well i i think i can i think i can swing that um and you know and hopefully hopefully i'll be a pending ufa this next summer there you go um and i can get a big contract and then uh and then afterwards see my performance decline uh age-related decline of course um okay yeah should we dive into the to the ducks here? Unless you've got anything else you want. Uh, to no, actually, I'm gonna do one thing real quick uh, mm-hmm. for everyone. We'll be right back. I don't know what's going on with the stream. I'm gonna close it out real quick. We'll be right back. Uh, audio listeners, you actually won't even notice a difference. All right, everybody. So everybody that's in our stream right now, apologies. I I will take the blame for this. 
I had my VPN turned on, uh, which allows me to watch these games, but I forgot to turn it off. It is now off, so hopefully things look better. Yeah, I think that that's helping a little bit. So anyone watching the YouTube video, sorry, you missed the first like 10 minutes of banter. Let's go with that. Um, no, not even 10 minutes. The first like four minutes of banter. We're basically what we establish is it's no longer my time Monday. It's Margarita Monday. And Felix's birthday is tomorrow. So wish him a happy birthday. A big The big two nine. So yeah, we're going with that. Okay. So should we get back into the show or are we, should we wait yes, let's out go. a little bit? Should, I mean, nope, how, are I think things, we're good to go. how are things looking? Eh, eh, it's fine. I don't I'm know like, what's fine. going on. I, we'll figure. I want, I want great. I want greatness. Um, okay. I, I'm apologizing to everyone watching the live stream on YouTube. I'm not quite sure what's going on with it, but you know, it's behind the scenes stuff. We'll figure it out after tonight. Okay. So getting into the last week of the ducks, do you want to start with tonight's game? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the Ducks lose 3-2. to two. They were coming off a loss to Carolina that snapped their winning streak. And I thought, you know, just as a kind of forward here in that game against Carolina, the Ducks played really well. It was still a really good performance against a team in Carolina that is very good at 5-on-5, five five, that has a ton of talent up front on the back end in net, just stacked, you know, up and down the lineup. And the Ducks acquitted themselves nicely. Now, against Nashville... This is a team that, kind of like the Ducks, started off the season struggling at 5-on-5, five five, and just like the Ducks, has also really been trending upward as of late. So this was another measuring stick game for the Ducks after the games that they had last week, which we figured were going to tell us a lot about them as a team. We figured after Washington and Carolina, we had a better understanding of, of the Ducks as a team. And after the last week of hockey, I actually felt like I'm more sold now on the Ducks being legitimately better this year than they were last year and just improved as a whole. Did tonight's result, did tonight's game change anything for you in either direction? Yeah, I think it pushed me more in the positive direction, to be quite honest. I mean, there are issues with tonight's game, and we'll maybe get into it a little bit more as a a full recap, but the Ducks really took some uh, badly timed penalties. Yes, Trevor Zegris took some bad penalties. Um, That's something he needs to crack down on. It's a habit he's kind of had a little bit of late. But um, kind of looking outside of that and looking for the large, uh, larger trend, the long-term trend that you can take away from this game, and I think the biggest thing from this game is the Ducks really outplayed the the Nashville Predators at 5-on-5, five five. and now granted, it's not as if the Ducks went out of their way and generated a bunch of chances. They were actually right around average in terms of the amount of expected goals for that a team generates in a game, so they got about normal level of chances, but... They were kind of kept to the outside. Nashville did a pretty good job of limiting those chances that the Ducks were able to get. And when the Ducks were able to get them, they weren't able to necessarily capitalize. You think about Trevor Zegers on, on his breakaway. He wasn't able to put that away. Different things like that were in, where when the Ducks got their chances, they weren't necessarily able to capitalize on them. But I think on the flip side of that is the Ducks were able to actually really keep Nashville at bay for most of the night. Really the only glorious five-on-five chance that I can think of. And now... To be completely honest, I was on my uh, commute home during the first period, so didn't catch a whole lot of it. But uh, the only glorious scoring opportunity I can really think of that the Ducks allowed was the Trennan chance late in the third period that ended up being the game-winning goal. Outside of that, I can't really think of any great five-on-five chance. I mean, granted, there's the Zegers potential breakaway against that didn't end up becoming anything, so it's not really a chance because there was no shot. Um, 
But so I, I think the Ducks overall did a really good job in this game of limiting the chances against. And that kind of bears itself out if you look at Evolving Hockey's uh, f- expected goals model for, at five on f- or at even strength 1.88 expected goals for to 0.99 against. And so, like I said, 1.88 or I think 1.88 or two, something in that range is right about league average at five on five. And so really the, where the Ducks got into trouble was taking penalties and letting Nashville into the game with their with the power play. And so if you want a big picture takeaway from this game, it's well at five on five, the ducks looked great. And that's something that really is repeatable. And Mm -hmm. if you want a negative takeaway, it's that the ducks do too many penalties. And that's something, I mean, from a positive perspective, that's easily, that's something that can easily be cleaned up. That's an easily fixable mistake. Five on five play is not an easily fixable mistake. And so that's why overall I'm really happy with this game. I think from the process perspective, and just like you and I talked about when the Ducks were on their winning streak, the wins and losses didn't necessarily matter to either of us. It didn't really reveal how the Ducks were playing in either direction. What really mattered was the process. Were they able to get their chances? Were they able to limit the chances of the team against? Timely scoring doesn't really matter for me because this is a process-oriented season for me as a fan. I want to see the Ducks take steps in the right direction to really help their five-on-five play. And that's what we saw tonight. And so if I'm going to say during a win that there are things I want to see improve and that even if the Ducks are on an eight-game winning streak, I think that there are things that they can do better. I think in the same uh, breath, I need to commend them when they're making good decisions in a game that they lose. And and so that's what I'm doing right now is they played a good game and this was a really good process game. Right. And I think that that is a very key point, although I I do want to just quickly throw in the fact that this season so tonight yes the penalties were i think the reason that the ducks lost if you if you're gonna pick one thing but this isn't this hasn't been a big issue for them this year they're actually third in the they're they're third in the league in penalty in minor penalties per 60 at five on five and so like third lowest in the league so that's a big reversal from what we've seen from them in the past so tonight is more of just a blip on the radar and honestly they took penalties but the penalty, you're not going to get scored on twice shorthanded either. No, that, that's and, not always going to happen. And neither of us are necessarily guys that like to complain about the refs. I think that they end up evening out. But I think there were some pretty egregious this was no a, calls th- against with tripping. This was a weird one. This was a weird one in yeah. terms of officiating. It felt like there was just no consistency. Because I don't really care about if a call is soft or if a call is borderline. As long as it that is the established standard that's being applied on both sides. And it felt... Mm-hmm. It definitely felt at times like the standard was all over the place. But back to what you were saying. It. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Um, back to what you were saying, though, which I think is a really important point, and this is a good clarifier for people that listen to our podcast, is that we, you know, we don't really talk about the win-loss record that much. And part of that is because the way that Jake and I look at the game is more so how did the team play? What is happening on the ice and how does that project moving forward? That is the that is the more important thing to us than just what was the final outcome? Who eked out the win on any given night? And, you know, because in the game of hockey, there's a lot of randomness that decides a single game or even five games okay. or even 10 games or even 25 games. Like there is a ton of randomness. And so we're trying to suss out what is real and what is not. And if you're just going off of wins and losses, you're more likely to be led astray than if well, you're looking at like shots, scoring chances, yeah, expected goals. These are the things that are going to help you predict more so than just the win-loss total. 
Yeah, and I mean, this kind of goes back to what everyone was asking us, right? Everyone kept asking us, I feel like, over the last couple weeks. Do you think this winning streak, do you think the winning is sustainable? Mm. Do you think it's sustainable? And I think this goes to that point of you and I didn't necessarily care about the winning. You and I cared about the process. The process and was so improving. I think, yeah, and I think that the process was improving. And I think at the time, you and I both had the opinion that this is really good. They weren't doing this last year. Now they need to be doing it against teams that are actually good. And here's the thing. This past week, the Ducks had to do that against teams that were actually good. And, I mean, spoiler alert, even though the Ducks went one and two, they held their own against three really good or two really good teams and one average team. But average is still better than what they've dealt with for most of the the, the eight-game winning stretch. And so I think that's definitely something to be commended and something that a lot of Ducks fans should be really happy about and proud about, honestly. Right, exactly, and and I think that a lot and a lot of people like today on the Crash the Pond account, we did it. We did an AMA, Ask Me Anything. We and a lot. Well, I did, <laughs> but you know it's our account, so I'm going to throw in the. Week. I know, I know. I just don't want my opinions associated with some of the stuff you were throwing out there. Well, so one of the most common questions I got, I got this from about four different people, all in in kind of the same phrasing was does this winning streak, does the way the season has started, does that change anything for this team? Is that going to change? what the front office does at the trade deadline. And I think, I honestly think that how we are viewing this season and how the front office is viewing the season is actually pretty close, pretty in line where we're not really looking at the wins and the losses. We're not looking at, okay, was there a penalty trouble on one night or missed chances on one? We're looking at how is this thing trending as a whole? That's what's the most important thing for this season. That's what we said before the season. You can go back to our season preview episodes. We talked about, This season is not about wins and losses for the Ducks. It's about how is the team playing? Is it establishing an identity? Is there something that's brewing in Anaheim? And so far this season, the answer to that is unequivocally yes. The Ducks are getting better. They are establishing an identity. The coaching has improved. So anyway, that's that's a lot of a lot of positivity right up front, but I think it's true. I know. I know, and here's the thing. if We're just going to beat people over the head with positivity after we will be accused yeah. many times for being negative. Oh, yeah. Well, even, um, when, even but, when we're positive, Jake, it, it's still not enough sometimes. Yeah, but here's the, the overall positive for me is that not only are the, the is the process trending in the right direction, you're right, they're establishing their identity. The identity that they're establishing is playing very fun hockey. Yeah. Like they're playing up and down hockey on the rush in transition, generating chances. I mean, in tonight's game, really why they were shut down was Nashville did a really good job of defending their line. And the Ducks aren't a team that can necessarily right now generate chances off the forecheck. They're not a team that really likes to get in. They're a team that likes to carry the puck in in transition and Mm -hmm. really open it up. And so if a team is very stout defensively with their neutral zone structure, that's one way that the Ducks are going to struggle a bit. But I mean, with high-end skill, you're able to break that down a little bit. And we saw that a couple times, the Ducks being able to get their chances because of the higher-end skilled players that they have. And so I think for a positive for this team is that the identity that they're establishing is really fun. Yeah. And it's not just fun because they are in these crazy games where there's a ton of chances going back and forth. It's not because of that. Like, they're playing sound hockey. They have exciting players. And that's this is the result. And I do want to point out that the, the Ducks Twitter account just put out uh, a, a little homage to Troy Terry saying, can we get some stick taps for Troy Terry? He had an incredible 16-game point streak. So the Terry point streak has come to an end, 
And I mean, it, this was going to happen at some point. Not too shabby, though. I mean, he's now third all time in franchise history in terms of point streaks. I guess maybe just a couple minutes on that, just how remarkable that was. And I guess for you, I know that you've always been a huge Terry proponent, as have I. But even for yourself, even as someone who's always been high on him, has anything changed for you, maybe in the positive direction, even further in the last 16 games? Yeah, I I think it definitely has because I think one of the things I was curious about was would there be some age-related improvement in his game for for scoring specifically and we're seeing that right now and so one of the things i was kind of starting to get worried about was he's a guy that was generating chances really good at five on five but there are just some guys that are really good at five on five and even though they're getting looks they're just not ever able to put it away not ever able to get the the scoring chances due to potentially lower at level finishing and i was starting to wonder okay maybe terry's not this 50 60 point guy but maybe he ends up being a 30 40 point guy and that still would have been fantastic, especially with the contract that he was on and fantastic for a fifth round pick, mm-hmm. like, like really, really good for, for what he was. And so I was starting to kind of settle into that, that he would kind of be a good third, second, third liner that can pitch in some secondary scoring. And I think what we've seen from this little stint from him is that he's now entering his scoring prime. And as he's entering his scoring prime, I mean, this doesn't seem like it's going to necessarily slow down anytime soon. Right. Because eventually Ryan Getzloff, Ryan Getzloff, I believe, is shooting 0% zero percent at five po- on five. Zero point zero. Yep. Zero point zero percent at five on five. Eventually, that's going to change. I, I I have a hunch that yes. to say yes. I, I I would place a lot of money on the fact that Ryan well, Getzloff is not going to shoot zero percent all season. He's shooting more this season. So yeah, that, at some point that's going to start paying off. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, and eventually. It's, we, it's weird though because his shots on goal are high this season, but his shot attempts are just kind of average for his career. So I don't. I mean, know I wonder is. how much of that. I I mean, I wonder how much of that is potentially getting fed chances by Terry a bit more, and so he's getting cleaner yeah. looks that that yeah. more so are less likely to be blocked. I mean, that that's a little bit of a conjecture without actually doing any research. So it's just kind of throwing a thought. No, yeah, out but there. I mean, I'm, there has to be an explanation. That yeah. could be one for sure. Yeah, and, and so I I, I think. For Troy Terry, I think that this has been really exciting because I don't think that this is necessarily unsustainable. And I think that's been the most exciting thing was obviously when he went on this point streak, the first thought that comes to my head is crap. He's shooting 30%. People are going to get overhyped on him. People are going to have heightened expectations that he's not going to be able to meet. And and then when you look at the numbers and really look at what he's doing and looking at on-ice shooting percentage, no, he's not going to continue to score goals at the rate he is. But the production is very viable, like from him with where where he's at and what's going on on the ice when he's on when he's out there, and I think that's what's exciting. Like he could be for the next three or four years a sixty seventy point guy. Yeah, and I, and I think just to kind of bridge the gap of what you were just saying, the reason we bring up Getzlaff shooting zero is because yes, Terry his goal scoring is going to die down, but his line mates just aren't scoring, and so at some point they're going to. And his his passes are going to turn into goals um, on the on this off of the sticks of his line mates, and so yeah, I, it, I guess that's what's changed for me as well in the last sixteen games is that I was kind of right there with you where I thought that Terry is at a minimum going to be an excellent play driver, a guy who you know if everything breaks right is going to pick up some points, maybe fifty to sixty points. And now the way he's played the season, the way all his stats, even though he's always profiled very well analytically, 
the, the, the fact that the stats have continued to improve, I think the ceiling has gotten higher for him, production-wise at least. And even just from an underlying yeah. perspective, he he's going to be better than I thought he would ever be. And that is, I mean, if you're a Ducks fan, that is extremely this could be exciting. The biggest, this could be the biggest deal of a draft pick that the Ducks have had. Like, I this mean, could be Martin, Mad- Martin Madden's crowning achievement, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, look, maybe now this is getting hyperbolic, but if Terry becomes a consistent 60-point, 50- to 70-point range for the next, you know, five to seven years, this is going to be one of the better fifth-round picks of all time, just in for yeah. any team, <laughs> because yeah. that is not the kind of value that you're getting in the fifth no. round. So, no. Anyway, that's uh that's what I've got on the Terry uh, hot streak. Now, do you want to just quickly blow through tonight's game still? Yeah, so I, I think let's blow through tonight's game. I think I think before we get to that, the the important I think newsworthy items before we get into the game sure. to touch on from the past week are Mason McTavish got sent down to the to what is it Peterborough of the Peterborough OHL. Peterborough Pete's. Yep. Peterborough Pete's of the OHL uh, after playing in his ninth game against the Carolina Hurricanes. You and I both discussed that after the game of, well, we'll see what they do with him. And at the end of the day, I think you and I both agree that this is completely the correct decision. I mean, he played, what, 20 games last season? I'll I'll double check that. But I believe he played 20 games overall, like through the U18s, through playing over in Switzerland. Yeah, that's combining regular season and uh, tournament play. So that's not yeah. a lot of games uh, for a for a prospect at, at his at the stage he's at in his career. Um, yeah, I do. So the thing with McTavish, the Ducks. Sorry, him, he played he played eighteen games in yeah. the regular season and playoffs for in Swe- in Switzerland and the played eleven. Or sorry, uh, let me do this again. Yeah, seventeen games and then played seven games for the U eighteens. Okay, so what would that be? Twenty four games in total. Yeah, so so he barely played. I mean, that is for, you know, because at that age, guys are playing a ton of games, you know, because they're, mm-hmm. they're playing for their club teams, they're playing for their international teams, showcases, like, it's just a ton of hockey. And arguably, I mean, in it's, nine, not, that, it's in, not that great for their in, development, but... <laughs> in 1920, he played 63 games. Okay, the 1920s. <laughs> for a second, yeah. I think you meant the year 1920. <laughs> I was like, what? That, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. In the year 1920. Yes, yes. Um, okay. Well, so the thing with McTavish is that, so you and I, and I mean, I'll speak for myself here. I will say that I am generally of the opinion that the best place to develop to become an NHL player is in the NHL. That being said, there, there are some conditions on that. I think that for one you have to demonstrate that you're able to handle it, that you are at least a positive impact player, just to any degree, that, that it's at least just something that you are thriving in, or not even thriving in, but just getting buy-in, right? And I think for McTavish, we were starting to see signs that that was not happening. If you look at his stats, you look at the RAPM charts, below break-even in just about everything except for on-ice production, which is a lot more volatile, you know, when, when you're comparing that to like shot rates, expected goals rates. And so I think that it was starting to look like maybe this was a little too much and maybe it wasn't even the fact that it was too much. The fact that he was playing out of position on the wing, on the third line with a defensive minded center and, and Isaac Lindstrom, a defensive minded winger and Jakob Silberg, maybe this just wasn't the right fit. So what could have the, the ducks have done differently? I mean, Dallas Higgins brought this up in his availability that, well, we just can't get him any reps at center. It's just it's just impossible right now. And I I want to push back on that notion a little bit because is it that important for Derek Grant or Sam Steele 
or whoever the fourth line center is going to be? Is it that important that those guys get those minutes as opposed to uh, Mason McTavish? Also, are they playing that much better to warrant McTavish not playing in his position? Because yes, McTavish has struggled. I don't think he was that good in his stint, but still better than Derek Grant, still better than Sam Steele. So I guess my question is, why was it just this this foregone conclusion that McTavish could not play center on this team? Well, and here's the other counter or the other kind of opinion that I have there that I think kind of really follows up your thought process here, which is that um, if not like when is there going to be space for him? Because you right now, like Ryan Getzloff with the way he's playing, what, two or three more years, maybe? Maybe I'm being optimistic there. Who knows? Let's go with at least one more good one. (laughs) Yeah, one more good one. And so Mm -hmm. maybe that works out perfectly with when Ryan Getzloff retires, that's when Mason McTavish comes back. What happens if that's not the case? What if Getzloff plays one more year and that's when McTavish is here? Are you going to specifically hamstring McTavish and not play him? Or, or what are you going to do? So I, I get it is a future problem, and that's maybe, the, and that's probably how Dallas Akins is viewing it, is that that's a future Ducks problem. That's not a me problem. But when is there going to be the right time to, for him to play center? It, well, it, like, cause, yeah, and, and, and this is the struggle, I think, of the Ducks management situation this season, is that if this season is truly about the future and about the rebuild, then you would think that a guy like McTavish, you'd prioritize seeing what he can do at his natural position for a short stint as opposed to prioritizing a Sam Steele and a Derek Grant at fourth line center, right? It just stands to reason that you would rather... Because you're keeping McTavish on your team for nine games anyway. And sure, there is still a benefit to that. He's still getting a taste of the NHL, but you didn't draft him to be a winger. You didn't draft him to be on a third line in a defensive well, role. Just give him a line that he and, can center and see what he can do with it. And we we saw it with Trevor Zegers last year. I mean, look at how how he looked on wing versus how he looked when he came up at center. Mm-hmm. He looked dominant at center. And I don't think that necessarily 10 games, at, or was it? I don't think it was even 10 games. It was like five or six games in the AHL at center made him this overall confident player. I just think it's this guy. He's playing his natural position. It's the position he's comfortable in. Yeah. And the thing with McTavish is, there were a couple of plays that he made that made you look at him as being like, oh, he's like a center. Because there was one defensive zone breakout that I remember specifically where he was able to corral the puck after it was bouncing, make a really nice move in the D zone to be able to corral the puck, turn with it all in one motion, get it up the ice, and then transition out of the zone and break it out with a pass. Right. And that was a center play. Like, that's not a play that a winger makes. A winger makes it on the board. They get it on the on their stick tipped it off the board and gets out. McTavish got in a stick, wanted to transition the puck into offense. And so I, I think if you're looking for signs of positive uh, or positive signs from Mason McTavish, that's one. And that was a, a center play. And, and so that's why you send him back. And so I think you and I both agree that overall for his development, this is the right decision if they have the mindset that they do, which apparent, obviously they do. So I think this is the right move. Right, exactly. And that's so despite like everything I'm just saying, I still agree with the decision because it was clear that their thought process was not going to lead to him getting this great opportunity in the NHL. He was playing out of position. It wasn't going that well. So really, it just felt like he wasn't getting much out of this experience anymore. He got his cup of coffee, got the nine games, got got to go through a training camp. You know, I think those are all good things. Those are all positive things for a guy's confidence, for a guy's long-term development, but it just didn't seem like it was really serving him anymore. Um, yeah. And it and it looked like the Ducks were not going to give him any further opportunity uh, to, to kind of be optimized in the lineup. So all in all, I think it's probably he's better off in junior. And th- again, this is not usually 
the, the, the tact that I take in these situations, but I think just the writing on the wall with McTavish just makes more sense to have him go play his actual position and just light yep. it up for another year. Now, to your point about oh. the, about the, the center depth, I don't know what will happen there. Yeah, real quick, by the way, backtracking slightly on Troy Terry, one thing I wanted to briefly mention yep. to kind of course wreck something that I had mentioned on previous episodes, because, you know, when you're wrong or when new information comes out, it's important to correct yourself and get the right information out there. Uh, Frank Cervelli reported on uh, when speaking about Troy Terry that the oh. long list, the information put out about that long list was kind of actually reported incorrectly. Um, they can modify the long list whenever. It's all about just getting testing information to the IOC in time. And mm-hmm. so they can basically make those changes whenever they want to their long list. So even though Troy Terry, which uh, Frank Cervelli kind of says is not on the long list and won't be on the, or wasn't on the long list to start, uh, you can pretty much guarantee that. Um, that's not to say that they can't add him to it. So that's something where Troy Terry fans out there that want to see him on the Olympic team, it's still a real possibility. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- so that is a, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was based on the information you had given us on this podcast. I thought yeah. there was, there was no chance of Troy Terry being on the Olympic team. And there was actually a really good article today on ESPN written by, I don't want to get her name wrong. Kirsten or Kristen, one of the two, um, Kirsten Sheldon. Shelton. Yeah. She wrote a great article about just like a profile on Terry this season and, and the run that he's had. And she asked him about the Olympic team and, you could just tell, like this is all this is all in written. This isn't even audio. You could just tell by what he was saying the fact that this would be an honor for him, that it would just be amazing. You can tell that if he is going to make that team, that it will be, I mean, one of the honors of of his lifetime to to, to not just because you know he's already been on an Olympic team, but to be on the one with NHL players, right? That is just a different type of situation, and uh, what a thrill that would be. So, yep. And anyway, and so. The other piece of news was Max Comtois. It was uh, announced that he will be out for six weeks uh, after having surgery on his right hand for removal of a small bone. So this, I was trying to remember back. Um, I believe the first game that he was scratched fully, and I think Elliot Tiford has reported that he uh, left kind of practice early with potentially an injury in his hand or something along those lines. I believe that was last weekend. Yeah. So not this or not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Well, so Dallas the Akins, Vancouver game. Dallas Akins has had to answer questions about this, and he mentioned that this has been a lingering thing for Comtois. Okay. Not specifically the bone, but when asked about being out of the lineup, being asked about him leaving practice early, he did mention the fact that this has been something that's been bugging Comtois for a while now. So it would appear that whatever this situation is with his hand, it's mm-hmm. not something that just fell out of the sky that he's been dealing with this. Now, the natural question is, well, he's been playing with an injury. Doesn't it make sense that he hasn't been producing? And it's tough to say because, A, we still don't know how long this has been going on, regardless of the fact that Aikens said that it's been lingering. We don't know how long that means. Does that mean a couple of weeks? Does that mean the entire season? Does that he mean tried going to get back in a to fight last with- year? He tried to get in a fight with Jeremy Lozon, and I don't think any punches were fully thrown, but I think that was the last game he played. And so, I mean, maybe yeah. it's it's a little bit of digging into it too much, but the last game he played in, he tried to get in a fight, and then he has a hand injury. I mean, maybe I, I, that that's making too much of a direct connection, but it yes. wouldn't shock me, right? I, lo- I love the fact that not only did you bring that up, but you but you noted the fact that no punches were actually landed or thrown or whatever. 
that that is it's some because nuts. i put that I, I think someone in discord mentioned that i was like oh yeah that's true there was an, it was because it was it wasn't a fight they didn't get fighting majors they got roughing majors <laughs> it was after it was after lundestrom got hit in the head that's that's the kind of attention to detail you get with crash the pond there folks. you go there um, you go so yeah, I mean that like you know I, I'm I'm looking at my hands right now and I'm thinking okay if I had a bone floating around in one of these like would that would th- would that be good No, it wouldn't be. It would probably be really annoying. But the thing is, and this is a good point. Like what what does that mean that he has a bone that got removed? Like was the bone fragmented? What, what actually happened there with that hand? We don't know. Doesn't totally matter. The point is that he's out. The other point is that I don't think that that just explains away what this his season has been so far i think you you could you could say maybe that's why he's been more reluctant to shoot at times you could say maybe that's why he's had a harder time finishing because yeah like that's where your your hand comes into play but you've still got Mm -hmm. your legs you've still got both your arms i mean you've still got your other hand like he has he has been just about the same player he has been last year now maybe the, the the argument you can make is that because of the injury that hasn't that has kept him back from taking a step further that that he hasn't been able to make the 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 terry leap because he's been dealing with that so maybe now being out four to six weeks i think is the 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 timeline maybe now once he comes back with that out of the way he can play and just take that step forward that is the hope if you're a duck fan right now so yep yep but but, but, i mean but did that change anything for your perception of you know no because i mean we saw this with with we saw this with the underlying numbers for him that his underlying numbers were the same and so, I mean, maybe if, if this is something that has been lingering, because we don't necessarily know, like, who knows if, well, if well, Dallas lingering, is telling us the truth. Well, what does lingering mean, though? Like, is that something from the beginning of the season or not? If it's from the yeah. beginning of the season, maybe that's a reason why he's still getting himself into the same location, same shots, same locations for all of his chances. And maybe that does impact your finishing. The, the real question is, when did this happen? And how long has he been dealing with it? And so, um, kind of... With all that being said, anything else you want to add before we uh, start getting into some of the recaps? I actually think we should start with the first game of the week. Well, I do want to say, though, with Contois, with him being out uh-huh. now, the Ducks had to call up Gru and Letary. And so, and I mean, we'll get to this eventually, but Henrique getting hurt tonight against Nashville, we don't know how that's going to shake out yet. Raquel Jacob coming back. Bro call up? Well, that's the thing, right? Like they're they're getting down to their last their last forwards here that they can call up and just have as healthy scratches. Like at some point, someone they call up is going to have to actually play. And I am really wondering if yes, will it be Jacob Perreault? Because he is hot right now, and at some point, like he, they're just going to have to call him up if these injuries keep piling up. So, yep. So before we uh, before we get into the the games from the past week, now that we've kind of dove into the news, giving you all that stuff. Let's have a bit of a a word from our sponsor. So today's episode is brought to you by Green Chef. So Green Chef has a meal plan for every healthy lifestyle, keto, paleo, plant-powered diets, or even if you want to just have a delicious but balanced dishes. Green Chef's expert chefs uh, curate every recipe with over 30 meal choices every week and the flexibility to switch plans. You'll never have to sacrifice taste for nutrition. You can enjoy restaurant-quality dishes in the comfort of your own home. You can enjoy new and nutritious nutritious recipes each week that are perfect for you and the whole family. You can take homemade, plant-based meals to the next level with Green Chef's plant-powered options. Or want to watch your carb intake? Their keto and paleo options will give you the premium proteins and vital veggies you need to conquer your day. 
And with the pre-portioned, easy-to-follow recipes, yep, they are definitely uh, pre-portioned, easy-to-follow, can definitely confirm that part of it. If, if you're not the best chef in the world, they make your life easy with everything they send you. So eating well has never been simpler, and you never have to worry about uh, having to plan or shop for dinner again. Green Chef's the first USDA-certified organic meal kit, so you can enjoy hand-picked organic veggies, premium proteins without having to worry about uh, where they came from. So Felix, Green Chef has been kind enough to, to send us some meals, right? And they've all been fantastic. I've mentioned this so many times, right? My wife has loved them so much where she's legitimately, and I don't have the binder with me, but she has legitimately put those meals into the into a binder with the uh, with the, the, the recipes for them so we can recreate them. And just for an idea for some recipes, I mean, this is what's on their daily menu right now. So if you were to, to take our code, which is CTP or 125CTP uh, for $125 off uh, plus free shipping, you could use that to be able to get meals like this, Felix. Steak and butternut squash salad. You can get chicken sulvaki. Uh, you can get mm. beef and sweet potato taco skillet. That beef and sweet potato taco skillet actually looks Yummy. really, really good. Pork with balsamic fig sauce. Um, mm. They're they're all really, really good. I mean, yeah. and all their Felix, dishes tell, are really... tell me about some of your favorites. Well, that's the thing. So if you look through all the different selections, I really enjoyed the chicken and cr- and creamy zucchini noodles. Super delicious. The thing with their dishes is that they're all really colorful. So, I mean, this sounds really kind of like out there, but the fact for a lot of like these meal prep or meal delivery companies, you get your meal and it's just the standard rice, chicken, broccoli, what have you. They make sure to make sure that it's presentable, that you've got all these different veggies, that you've got all these different colors to make eating healthy, to make getting fit, to make getting into shape, make it less of a drag. And I think that that is a big, big reason to hop onto the Green Chef train while you can. Yep, and apologies, the code is CTP125, actually. So, uh, you can go to greenchef.com slash CTP125 and use the code CTP125 to get $125 off. Yeah, you heard that right, $125 off, including free shipping. Once again, that's greenchef.com slash CTP125, like Crash the Pond and $125, and use the code CTP125 to get $125 off, including free free shipping shipping uh green chef the number one meal kit for eating well thank you so much green chef there you go folks um i want to point out this is now completely unrelated jake is jake is rocking the stash pretty hard here you've got november you've got the full shave i will give you some uh some critique here though the 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 soul patch is a bit of a cop-out to me like, like you're, you can't claim full stash if you've got any other facial hair. Let's going just on. say, let's just say this: I do, I am married, and I would like to stay married. <laughs> and legitimately, after I shaved, my wife said to me, "The redeeming factor about your mustache is that the soul patch is there, so it doesn't look completely horrible." Oh, that is one of my favorite things that's ever been said on the show. Um, thank you for that. Okay. Well, hey, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you here, at least not while we're recording. Um, okay. Let's, uh, <laughs> and now my turn to, to tickle Jake there. Okay. Let, let's talk about the games from, from the last week. Um, so I say well, we start with the first game of the week. I mean, we're this far in. Let, let's save I mean, the, the game that we just watched for I, last. I think, I think we got to give up on the, the recap for Nashville for now. We will get to it. Don't worry. Yeah. So Washington, Carolina, Nashville, I believe is the, the slate. 
if correct. I'm not mistaken. Okay. That is so, correct. So one big thing you could say happened against Washington, and that would be Ryan Getzlaff hitting a thousand points. So Jake, yes, let me ask you this: What first yeah. off, what was your reaction to that? Because it happened very early in the game, which I think is kind of fitting for Ryan Getzlaff. Just get it out of the way. But also, just I mean, what did that mean to you? The fact that you've now witnessed as a Ducks fan the entirety of his career, the fact that he's made it to this point, and I, I'm sure that you'll probably be speaking for a lot of fans here as well. What did that? What did that moment mean to you? I feel old. <laughs> Come on, really? You're you're gonna go no, there? I'm turning 29, uh, and you're and you're gonna remind me of that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I think it was a really cool moment. I I think it was one of those moments seeing the benches clear, seeing how much it meant not only to Getzloff but to all of his teammates. I, I think that's what really I think made it a bit emotional for me. Was it, obviously this is an insanely big accomplishment for him. I mean, there's only so many. I think it's like under a hundred under a hundred people in NHL history that have a thousand points. So this is a big deal to hit a thousand points, especially for him to do it with one franchise. And I think for it to happen uh, with Cam Fowler scoring the goal, Troy Terry to get the assist. I mean, Troy Terry said it afterwards. By the way, quick side note, Troy Terry's become one of the best interviews on the Ducks. Uh, just wanted he to always has been. That out. Yeah, this is, but this is just they, like they're doing it. I but they're doing it more and more because he's scoring a bunch. Like Com- the, like they've said, it's Terry time. Common crashed upon reply to anything positive about Troy Terry. Oh, it's always been like that. <laughs> Because it's true. Um, but, yeah. yeah. But regardless, the fact that Troy Terry got the secondary assist, Getzloff got the primary assist, and Fowler got the first or got the goal, like, what more can you can you say? I mean, Cam Fowler is potentially going to be one of the second longest tenured players in Ducks history. I mean, he's played a long time for this franchise. I'm curious. Actually, now I'm going to do a quick look at it once I'm done with this little uh, little point that I'm making. But um, it overall felt really, really good. And I think it was really cool. And the fact that it happened when, again, in a game against Ovechkin, kind of some history there. Ovechkin don't, scored don't his first Daniel NHL Sprung. hat trick. Don't forget Daniel Sprung. I was more saying the fact because I think Ovechkin scored his first hat trick in Honda Center. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's it's just it felt like it was kind of these two guys from the last this past generation kind of really holding on in a good way. And, and Ovechkin still scoring goals. Uh, well, t- or trying to chase Gretzky, and then you have Getzloff here still holding on, having a fantastic year. And so I, I think there was a whole lot to it. This game overall, we'll get into it a little bit more, this game overall felt like a real big passing of the torch game in a really fun way. Well, yeah, and, and so, yeah, I, I guess we shouldn't mention that Getzloff and, and Ovechkin got drafted a year apart, so they're yeah, definitely... but their first of, season was the same. Yeah, exactly. So they're kind of... They're, they're, their careers, you can, you can directly compare them. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the big story, though, for this game is the fact that yeah, after the Capitals came back to tie it in the third period, you had Troy Terry get on the board from a really nice feed from Sonny Milano, a nice little saucer pass right into the lane, just drops it in for Zegris, who then comes in and scores. And then the Capitals come back, they tie it, um, they make it 2-2. Two to two. And in overtime, Jake, I mean... Maybe the most exciting play of the season for the Ducks so far. Actually, definitely the most exciting play of the season for the Ducks thus far. Trevor Zegers comes in on the right wing. He's a left-handed shot, kind of just places the puck into the middle of the rink and then skates onto it, fires it against the grain, top right, and just goes perfectly into the net. He skates off, the crowd goes wild, and then he tosses a stick into the audience. I mean, it's just one of those... One of those moments that I think 
if you're if you're a Ducks fan, if you're watching this game, if you're someone who's followed Trevor Zegers, what if you're just a hockey fan? That's something that you're going to remember for a long time because it was a yeah, very exciting moment. Like you can maybe nitpick this game. I mean, we obviously have with the the fact of Delory and all that that fun stuff that well, we, we've let, done in the let, past. Let's focus on the, the I, good. I, no, I know. <laughs> I, I was about to do that. I was actually yeah. going to say you can do that, but I think that this game is one where I personally just want to overlook that because of how much I think. I, I think there are certain games throughout a season that you can look back on, and, and they're games that you will remember. Yep. And so I think there are statistical things that you can look at from them, sure. but I don't think, and I think that this is a little bit of a completely other side of the, the port of kind of the argument that we typically make, but I think there are certain things to making memories for fans. And I think that that is important with this being an entertainment well, cause, industry. Cause that's what, and so yeah, exa- that's what this is all about. That, that's what this is all about. And so I think that there are games that will be like that. And last year, the, the game that comes to mind was, I can't even remember who they were playing, to be honest, but it was Drysdale's first game where he scores, and then Zegers oh, yeah. scores that goal right afterwards. Yeah. And I they end up winning that game in overtime. Maybe it might have been. But still, like I don't even remember the opponent, but I can remember those goals and kind of how that game flow was. And these are these memories that you have, and that's how this game felt. like this. And that's why kind of on Twitter I said this felt like a proverbial passing of the torch. You have yep. this wonderful moment in Ryan Getzloff getting his thousandth point. Then you have Trevor Zegris scoring to be able to, to make it a two-to-one game, and then they end up allowing uh, Washington to come back and tie it, and it beat a two-to-two. And then – you see Zegras on the ice at three on three, and honestly, that wasn't the best three on three the Ducks have played, or just the most entertaining one. It was a very slow one, I felt overall, one that really never felt like it's got it caught its legs until kind of the last little bit. And then Zegras got the puck, and he's kind of enters the zone. And you just kind of feel like something special is going to happen when the puck's on his stick, and that's honestly how I feel anytime the puck's on his stick. To be honest, just you feel like something's about to happen, and you see him curl with the puck, and then you end up sh- he shoots and goes in. And it's just, it felt like a moment. And that turns out to be the thousandth win in franchise history. Gets off thousand po- thousandth point. It felt like Zegras is coming out party. Um, and he goes on to now have another point in tonight's game. But that was five points in two games for him. And he had played nine minutes in both those games. And it's like, it, it just felt like a coming out party. And you had Dmitry Filipovich tweeting about it. It felt like the Ducks were the talk of the town after that. Yeah. And it just really felt like this overall really good and cool moment. And now granted there's going to be highs and lows in the season, but those are the types of moments that can make fans. And I think that's important to have. And there haven't been a whole lot of those over the last couple of years. And so I think that as a fan, it was really nice to see that type of game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that with our show, you know, we pride ourselves on being these objective commentators right where we're we're diving into the numbers and trying to suss out what's what's important and what's not but we can't lose sight of the fact that like you said this is an entertainment product that this is about the fans that this is about making memories at the end of the like that's what ultimately this is all about and like the last couple years you you did point out the trevor zegers first nhl goal against arizona and yeah that was memorable but there haven't been a lot of those for the ducks Mm -mm. and and that's hurt their brand that's hurt they're standing league wide, like you said. People tweeting about that, people talking about it, and so the fact that that Zegers did that, the fact that it happened on the night Getzlaff got his thousandth point, it was one of the more memorable games I've watched the Ducks play in the time that I've been watching them, which is now going on. I mean, I don't know, close to ten years now. So, yeah, it was just it was just a cool moment, like you said, passing of the torch. The fact that Getzlaff gets his thousandth to start the game. And then Zegras essentially closes out the game. The thing with Zegras is that 
despite the fact that you and I agree he has played well this season and he has been one of their better players and his mere presence on the roster is one of the reasons that they've been able to turn this corner. He has he hadn't really had that moment yet. He hadn't really had that moment where you just saw it all come together, the skill, the personality, the a moment in time in the specific game where it, the game was really hinging. It just all came together in in he that He felt like a superstar overtime. in that moment. Exactly. Felt like an absolute star and I think now, I mean, look, you, since that time he's played well, but those are the keystone moments that really kind of make careers and I think Look, you saw it, like, for example, another American star, Austin Matthews, that first game he played, right? What, the what the four-goal game, yeah. Exactly. Everyone remembers that. And for Trevor Zegras, like, I'm not trying to compare the two players specifically, but that was that was his moment in that way, where it's just something yeah, that everyone's going to remember. Well, and I mean, and I mean, the misconduct was so dumb, but that <laughs> like, like, let's celebrate that celebration instead of uh, hand wringing about the misconduct because it's dumb. Like that right. celebration's so damn cool. Like, oh, yeah. it, obviously, and, and he even said this afterwards. So for those of you that don't know, earlier on in the season with the, the Devils uh, end up winning a game in overtime, Jack Hughes scores the overtime winner against the Chicago Blackhawks w- with a sick move. And he's basically skating down the boards and tosses his stick into the crowd. And there was actually an interview with him. I believe it was uh, Sean Gentilly and Craig Custance with The Athletic did an interview with Jack Hughes about it. And he kind of asked, he's like, was I allowed to do that? And there was no penalty, which rightfully so, there shouldn't be. And then... I'm wondering if maybe there was a memo put out. Who knows? But basically, Zegras, after the game, is interviewed about it. And he said, yeah, he's like, Jack's hurt right now. I wanted to do that to put a smile on his face. And it's like, that's so cool. And, like, I don't know. It, it's just such a swaggy move to be able to do that. It, it's a bat flip. Like, let's be real. It's yes. like having a bat flip after a walk-off home run in baseball. Like, it's yeah. just, like, there's nothing the other team can do. And you're just like stunting on them as, yeah. as our good friend CJ uh, has put with his meme, basically. Yes. Yes, exactly. And just a very cool moment. And I mean, definitely for like the younger fans, kids that are getting into the sport or that want to get to Trevor Zegers's spot one day, like that's, that's the kind of stuff that, that motivates you. Okay. Speaking of guys with personality real quick, did you see the passage of uh dab? The dab? I haven't actually seen it yet, but I've seen enough people talk about it to where I feel like I know what happened. Like when this team has him and Seagrass playing together. Oh boy. He he is absolutely torching the OHL. Oh, oh, I just more meant the personality of the team. Well, I know, I know, but he's also playing. I mean, he's dabbing because he can get away with it right now. And it's, yeah, it's some, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it at some point, but yeah, he's playing well. Um, okay. Anything else on the Washington game? No, I think that kind of covers it. I mean, there's. I don't really want to get into the numbers too much no, because this yeah. was this was just a memorable game. That was a narrative game, narrative streak game. Yeah, nothing wrong with yep. that. Um, yep, every exactly. Once in a while. And then, so with the Ducks' win streak on the line, they would take that Thursday to against Carolina at Honda Center, and this was a game again where I thought that the Ducks, you know, had an opportunity to win. Um, I mean, the the Hurricanes would come out to take the lead. Troy Terry would tie it. He picks up his 12th goal of the season, extends his point streak, and ultimately would be the last game in that streak. And then the Hurricanes end up pulling away in the third period. I didn't think personally that the Ducks played that well in the third period. I thought that the the Carolina Hurricanes really mm-hmm. imposed their will, but that's going to happen, right? Like yeah. we have we have to make sure that we are keeping well, our our radar correct here. Like the Ducks yeah. are improved 
but the, the Carolina Hurricanes are one of the best five on five teams in the league with a ton of talent. Like we cannot be upset, or I guess we can't be too critical of the fact that at, at some point or another, that fact came to bear that yeah. the, the better team looked better. Definitely, definitely. I, I think you're spot on there. I think overall the Ducks sitting at 48.16 expected goals for percentage in that game at five on five. Like that's a big win for this team. Like to to even be that tight to the Hurricanes is impressive. But I, I think you're spot on there that if you want to find something to critique in this game because they did lose, I think the thing to critique is maybe the the last 10 minutes of the game after the Ducks allowed the goal against. I mean, there's obviously always the the critique that Nick DeLore beyond Trevor Zegers' line is a poor decision because it's going to limit offensive ability that specifically led to the second goal against with yep. DeLore well, taking Shatt- himself out of Shatt- position Shatt- to be also, able to try to make it. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was about to say that shit. Shattenkirk got walked. It wasn't a good play by him, but that all gets stopped if Delorier doesn't go out of his way to try to play the body. Instead, he makes a play on the puck. Like that—that's the issue yeah. with Nick Delorier. There is he goes out of his way to play the body, and that puts yourself in a bad position to do that. And so, I mean, here's the thing: you and I don't. Neither of us think Nick Delorier is that great of a hockey player in terms of the NHL. Yes, I think we both would agree that if you're gonna play him, it should be on a fourth line. But you and I both agree probably shouldn't be there. There's no way in hell she he should ever be on a second line in the NHL though. Like that that just shouldn't be a thing. Well, the problem is he's just taking off he's taking too much value off the table offensively, right? Cuz yeah. the whole the whole thing with him is that he's defensively responsible and that does bear itself out in the numbers, so you have to give True. him credit for that. The problem yep, is agreed. in your top 6, that's not what you're trying to achieve. You're trying to get you're trying to get points on the board. You're trying to score, you're trying to drive play in the other direction and you've got to find a way to, to optimize that, to optimize that process. And with, and and with Delorier, the thing is for all his, for all his value defensively, he's a zero offensively, like an absolute zero. And, and that, that kind of nullifies his value defensively. And the argument that came out that he plays physical, he drives the front of the net, that, Driving the front of the net wasn't actually true. Like there was a play, I think it was in the Capitals game, where Zegers kind of throws it to the front of the net, yeah. and Delore is like between the faceoff dots, getting ready to play defense instead of driving front. Yeah. Net. So, so I I tweeted that clip, and I think people took that as me trying to critique Delore. And what I was trying to say is just like that line isn't working. Like none of them are on the same page. Like like Milano is yeah. below the goal line. Delore is fading away. Zegers is spinning, trying to get in the middle, which I think is the correct play there. But to your point, it's just like his instincts just it doesn't gel with a guy like Zegers, who's just mm-hmm. so high level. And the yep. thing with Deloria as well, like it's something that we don't really talk about as much because it's a little harder to quantify in the sport, but puck skill. Like the fact that when the puck gets onto a stick, nothing happens. Like he's either going to dump it in, he, may, he might try like one little move to get around his defender, or he'll just throw it on net. But when you're playing with a high-level guy like Zegris and Milano, who's also a good playmaker, you need to be able to keep up. You need to be able to keep the chains moving, and Delorier is just not that. And so that's, that's the problem. This game, I'm going to provide some more analytics and, and some more deep information for people out there. I was looking at Corey Schneider's uh, tra- tracking data, and he's tracked, I think, actually a decent amount of Ducks games. I think it's like over 200 minutes that he's tracked uh, mm-hmm. so far in terms of uh, games, so a couple games at least. Um, and one of the things that stuck out to me was Trevor Zegers loves to enter the puck with the zone or enter the zone with the puck on a stick and tries to create chances off of that. Nick Delorio, on the other hand, loves to dump the puck in that mm-hmm. likes to make that safe play pucks on a stick in the neutral zone, get it in deep, get it in deep, get it in on the forecheck. 
Trevor's and the issue there is that when Deloria dumps it in, it doesn't usually create chances. It usually doesn't ever end up on the duck stick after the fact. I think that's the issue there, especially when you're playing with Trevor Zegras, who, quite frankly, Zegras and Milano, they can be dangerous on the forecheck if turnovers happen, but they're not meant to get in on the forecheck. They're meant to enter the zone with possession, and then if the puck turns over, they can get in on it, but they're not really guys that want to have the puck dumped in and then chase it. That's not their game. That's not what they do. And so I think from that perspective, it, it just, they're really, like you said, it doesn't mesh in terms of what they want to do. And it didn't really relate, uh, relate or create chances after the fact. And so I, I think we saw that with, with that line and we saw that um, kind of, and we saw that as to why Dallas Akins, when push came to shove, when the Ducks were actually trailing the game, having to chase it, he took Nick Delory off that line. And I think Dallas does deserve credit for doing that, but I think that oh, he's Dallas if you're now. doing Akins, Dallas Akins, whatever. However, we want to say Jake has Jake has definitely taken a a bit of a turn on on Akins lately. I've I've been seeing a lot more praise, and now he's Dallas. So this is well, he no, but he does deserve. Like I'll give him more praise when we get. I agree. I agree with you. By the way, I just think it's funny that yeah, and and so he deserves praise for making that change. Now, granted, that change should have happened earlier or prior to that mm-hmm. um because i think the issue that ended up happening was it was almost too little too late the ducks uh were a little bit uh hemmed in their zone in the carolina game as a result of that there wasn't necessarily chemistry because the guys hadn't played together so there was really kind of it was a little bit all over the place for the the ducks in that last little bit and i think that really hamstrung them and i think the other thing kind of that i think i wanted to bring up on the carolina game is the power play and you right. and i brought well, this up well, this was the lindholm Lindholm gate. Correct. So <laughs> Hampus Lindholm had been on the power play basically then the past couple weeks. Jamie Drysdale had not been on the power play for a while. Um, and um, while looking at Corey Snyder's data, basically Hampus Lindholm, all he does on the power play is shoot puck, which some people may think about, see that and be like, oh, that's a good thing. But well, if you, if he shoots got an, the puck. If you've got an elite shot, it's great. If you're Hampus yeah, but Lindholm. He, yes. <laughs> He shoots the puck more than he passes it on the power play. And the issue for the Ducks is that um, is that Hampus Lindholm shouldn't be shooting on the power play because he's shooting it from the point. It hits legs. It doesn't really find its way in. And it's just a low-danger chance. Whereas on a power play, you want to be looking for that high-quality chance. You want to be moving the puck. The guy at the point, the modern-day power play is not relying on a point shot anymore. It's all about distributing the puck, working it around, taking advantage of the fact that you have the extra man, and looking for that good opportunity. And by having Lindholm just fire it with a quick little wrist shot from the point, that's not necessarily going towards that point. It's just kind of giving the other team the puck. And so I think that this game really made that apparent because the Ducks really weren't able to capitalize on their power play. And I mean, in addition to that, it was also weird. They had, was it Getzloff, Zegras, Lindholm, Silverberg? Yeah. And I can't remember who was the other person on that. that I think McTavish was out there actually yeah 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 yeah, yeah. mctavish was so it was just odd it was like it it was a weird mishmash and it felt like they were trying to uh not load up one unit to make the other suffer well and so so, so yeah i was gonna say that the thing with power plays in the nhl is that the volume it it actually becomes more quality over quantity when you're on the power play just getting pucks on net just getting shots on from the point with some traffic is not there's not a ton of virtue in that always at least like sometimes yeah if you if there's a ton of traffic you get the deflection great but if you if you watch the shifts for Lindholm in that game it's kind of maddening because he gets the puck at the point and 
he has the opportunity to, to hit it back to one of the guys in the flanks. Like, for example, there was a play where he gets it back to the point. Zegris is wide open at the top of the left circle. And if you can get it back to him, there's no pressure on him. He can then bring it in and either get a shot on net from closer or the guy in the slot that's net front pops back out into the high slot and he can get it into the slot. Zegris can pass it in, a centering pass, and then you have a great chance. That's more dangerous. But instead, Lindholm kind of drags his defender in, tries to lull him to sleep, and then just gets it on net. It misses. It just doesn't go anywhere, right? And so when you're mm-hmm. that when you're that point man on the power play, you have to really have a keen understanding of, okay, what is the priority here? And maybe that's what he's being told by the coaching staff. Like, just get it on net, get it on net. But the reality is that is a low – it's just a low-value play. The expected value on a point shot like that, it's just – it's not optimal. And so that's why it's it's funny. You saw tonight, though, against Nashville with Raquel back, Lindholm was no longer in the power play. So maybe this like nope. a five, it's a five-man nope. unit thing. Um, no, it felt like they, they actually made changes because they went uh, – yeah. the first unit was – what was it? It was Zegris, Getzloff, uh, Milano, Raquel, Drysdale. Yeah, and and they look good. I, I thought yeah. that they, they looked like a lot the, better. The only, the only tweak I might make there is I might do Terry for Raquel, but I don't hate – like. Either way, no, it's I fine. Mean, those are four of your best offensive yeah, players. Like either way, and it's Drysdale. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing with Drysdale that I that I notice is that because he's such a good skater, because he's so aggressive off the blue line, he's more willing to pinch up. He's more willing to carry the puck in and look for that centering pass as opposed to just fling it on net from the blue line. And and that he's a facilitator facilitator on the power play as compared to a guy that's looking to shoot it. Exactly. I think he just has a better understanding of what is trying to be accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Just a better offensive instinct. And like yep. the thing with Lindholm, it's nothing against him. Like that's just not the role he should be playing. No, it, no, it felt like they were almost trying to force it almost is maybe this is getting too, too overthinking it, but maybe trying to increase his value. Yes. Yes. There you go. You stumbled into it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, let's get into tonight's game, though. The Ducks ended up losing the Predators. We we briefly talked about the process much better in tonight's game. Yeah. Um, and really the only issue, like we said, was the, the penalty kill. I think if you want to get into an issue with the game, I obviously, Adam Henry getting hurt. That, yeah, that that's really hurt the, them. That's this, possibly the single biggest thing to come out of this game, if it proves to be a, a, a significant injury, is the fact that you lose Henrique. You're already down Contois. Like you're gonna, like we were talking about earlier, you're gonna have to call up someone else from the AHL, or do you just put one of Letary and Gru in the lineup and then have another guy in the press box? Now your lineup isn't. I mean, you're in trouble at that point. Now, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know what they do with the top line. It's just gonna be tough. So okay, I, let's know, just I, go on. Let's just let's just go on this tangent real quick on Jacob Perot. Well, I, I, I want, think it's in. I just want to ask Go you this it. question, though. If if mm-hmm. they are if Henrique is out for a while, what do you do? I call up Jacob Perot. Well, okay. Let me ask you this. Let me put this a different way. Let's say that okay. Perot is not an option and that they just call up another guy who they are just comfortable scratching every game and that one of Gru or Leterrier are going to be in. How do you configure the top six? Because I just think you can't have one of the, the bottom six guys in there. I think, um, I think you move Jacob Silverberg up. Yeah, I, I, that's actually what I was going to say as well. I think you, you, you work Silverberg into that top six. You keep the Raquel, Milano, Zegers line intact. You put Silverberg with Terry and Getzlaff, and then you just have it basically an AHL yeah. bottom six. It, it is, I mean, it is what it is. Injuries yeah. happen. I yeah. mean, here's the thing. I, here's going to be the real question. And this, 
this is one thing that hasn't necessarily been talked about enough with, with Jacob Pro. And you and I have both said that, that the ELC slide doesn't matter as much as people make it out to, but it does still hold some weight. It's, for it's, it's, a, it's a factor. It's a factor. It's one that you mm-hmm. and I think doesn't matter as much as it's made out to be, but obviously it's a factor. I mean, there's a reason why Mason McTavish in some ways was sent down. Yes. Um, but uh, Jacob Pro, the ELC slide still does apply to him. Yep. Like, just because he's playing in the AHL, that doesn't mean he is... Uh, this counts as a year off as ELC. Um, this well, does only, not. The only reason he's in the AHL anyway is because of the last, last year. year. Yes. Yeah. So anyone who play and this uh, the reason why I bring this up is if guys play over in Europe prior to uh, and don't play in junior, they can actually go straight to the AHL at eighteen, and the ELC slides still do apply when that happens. So like Campus Lindholm came over early and went to uh, went to the AHL and played a full season there. It didn't count as a year off as ELC because it's 10 NHL games. So the mm-hmm. AHL does not count to that. So for Jacob Rowe, once he plays 10 NHL games, this counts as a year off his contract because he's 19. So that's something to, in some ways, keep in mind is that even though he can be sent up and down and called up and sent back down, he can be called up, play eight games, go back down for the rest of the year, come up, play one more game, and then not have it count a year or go four and four. So mm-hmm. that's okay, just one thing saying. to, that's one thing to keep in mind with Perot is that, if that's something they're cognizant of, that could be a reason why they keep him down. Yeah. Having said all that, to me, the reason why he hasn't been recalled yet is prior to McTavish being sent back, there not wasn't necessarily a spot for him. And so with Mc, with McTavish going being sent back, with Henrique being injured, and if he's injured long term, it didn't. Uh, prior to Henrique getting injured, it didn't make sense to call him up because essentially Leteria be Gr- in the bottom six. Well, it's not only that he was going to be in the bottom six, but the guys that were being called up were essentially being called up to be healthy scratches. That's what Letaria and Grew were. They were called up in case a guy got hurt in Worms or got hurt on game day. And you don't call up Jacob Perot for that situation. Now, to fill a top six role, yeah, you call him up for that because he has 15 points in 12 games. Um, He's tearing up the AHL. And I think what better way to give him some experience than this? And if it actually is, let's just say, a small injury that's going to take Henrique out a game or two, that's actually the perfect situation to bring him up and give him a taste. Right. I mean, just for the sake of consistency, I do want to say that I don't think there's anything wrong with calling up a prospect like Perot or, you know, just a prospect in general and have them play in the bottom six. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You and but, I just understand how the Ducks franchise works. Well, yes, but it also just depends on who they're going to be playing with in that bottom six. And right now, true, true, good like, point. Like Jacob Perot does one thing specifically well. He shoots the puck a lot, and he scores goals. And we, we love him for that. He is a ton of fun to watch. You know, the, the Michigan goal, all of that. Like, that is great stuff. But I don't see his specific player type working well on, like, a third line with Isaac Lundestrom and Jakob Silberg, for example. Agreed. Like, I don't think that that sets him up for success. Because as much as, you know, Lundestrom has played well this season, um, as much as Silberg has been solid when he's been healthy – like those are not those are north south players. You know, Lundestrom can carry the puck. He's looked good at times handling the puck, but he's just not going to disturb you the way that you would like with a guy with Perot. And then don't even let's just not even talk about the fourth line. Like like yeah. Jacob Perot with Derek Grant and you know, I mean Sam Carrick's Sam Carrick's numbers are good this Sam season. Sam Carrick's actually not an awful option to like I, I, bump up to the top 6 even. I, I I think we need to start giving Sam Carrick more more of his Sam, more, more Sam Carrick here. Sam Carrick with Getzloff and Terry isn't the worst option. Should should Sam Carrick be our new like 
the the, the player that we're pushing that is actually good. We it, need it, more it, of a sample so there's actually okay. numbers backing it up. Okay. I mean, but so far so good. The numbers are are good on carry. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 uh, the, the, the point is though I don't see. I, I just don't think that the Ducks' bottom six is a good fit for him right now. If they had no. more offensive options there, I would say yes. But so for me right now with Perot, it's got to be with Zegers or Getzlaff or or bust. And so that's why I just don't see it for him right now. Generally though, I also I, think I, Getzlaff. It, it, I also think Getzlaff and Terry are a great like line to go with for him. Yeah, it's just not a hard and fast thing where like an offensive prospect cannot play in the bottom six. It just, it just totally depends on your personnel. And yeah, I mean him with Getzlaff and Terry would be, it would be interesting. Like that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. And so that's why like if, if Henrique is out long-term, give her a shot. Why yeah. not? Why not? Let's see yeah. it. I mean, it, it, you're going to have to find out with him sooner or later. And he's taken a step this season in the, in the AHL in a very good league. So let's, Let's just get a taste. I mean, yep. you're, you're you're not pot committed if it's just a few games. Yep. And before I criticize Dallas Akins, I want to give him some credit in this game. <laughs> okay. In this in the second period when Adam and Reed got injured, what did he do? He didn't go. He didn't make the the easy play and put uh, Raquel you mean, with. You mean the 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 expected play from yeah. Dallas Akins? <laughs> put put Raquel with Getzloff and Terry, or leave him there and then put Delorie with Getzloff and Terry, or put Delorie with uh, Zegers and Milano, like. Doing that would have made sense. What did he do? He double shifted Zegers for most yeah, of the put, second period. Put him on the wing with with Getzloff and Terry at different points. Yeah, he, and double shifted him. Like Zegers played over nine minutes at five on five after two periods, and yeah. that's as much as he played against Vancouver at five on five. That's as much as he played against Washington at five on five. Like this was a far cry from the way that he had treated Zegers previously, and it was really nice to see. And now, granted. In the third period, he kind of went back to it and and defaulted kind, to kind of guy. though, kind of, kind of. Like he I think, still played him. Like late game is where you want to see him used more. Yeah, because but... I mean there was a there was a timeout with forty five seconds left in the game, yeah. and they come out of the timeout with Isaac Lundstrom on the ice instead of Trevor Zegers. Like that is actually like an awful decision. Yes, and and Dallas Aikens' uh, late game decision making has not been the best in his Ducks tenure. But I mean, Zegers did get a bunch of shifts in the third period. Like it's mm-hmm. not as if he wasn't playing. So I'm willing Definitely. to I, I I'm willing to give Dallas. <laughs> there I'm you willing go. To give Dallas a, a little bit of a pass on on that one. Still a bad call, but Zegers got his time. So it's not. It's 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 an improvement. I think in the like, grand like, scheme like, of things, like, it, like at least there's something that can kind of counterbalance that, as opposed to well, just being I, all bad. I think if the options are what happened against Vancouver and what happened against uh, yeah. wa- like against Washington, even where Zegers just didn't play that much in late game situations. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, against Washington, that same thing happened. Even he played like nine minutes at five on five. Yeah, I would rather take this situation where he's playing 14, 15 minutes, or I think it was like 13, 50 at five on five and just be it's being screwed up a little bit at the end than playing nine minutes and just royally screwed up. And so it's progress. Yeah. And also, look, from a long term perspective, I know that you're probably not that upset. The Ducks lost this game. So to be quite honest, I've stopped. I've stopped caring either way. Is that a stealth tank move to put Lundestrom out there? <laughs> are you are you saying that Dallas Akins is, is stealth tanking? 
Is he? Does he have a wire up to the front office from Jeff Solomon? Is Jeff Solomon him? calling him? Is the, is that on the the iPad for him? <laughs> I mean that that's pretty much the only rational explanation for that. Um, yeah, I mean maybe the explanation is you want to get no there is. I was about to no. say you want to get Lundstrom out there to like why? see how it is. Why? But though? It, yeah, but why? Like, in what world do we live in where three, four years down the line when the Ducks are contending, Isaac Lundstrom is the guy out there trying to get you a goal in a late game situation? That right. that's just not where it's at. I mean, Fernando Valenzuela says progress, not perfection. I mean, that's honestly. Pretty I mean, much that's, exactly what this is. That's what this is. And also, I look, I will say this. Trevor Zegris, you know, he he did not play that well tonight. Like, he had good moments. Oh, I disagree. I well, disagree. Okay. He had the great assist. I think they're... they're but, but he no, argued, they're, they're, He arguably gave ahead. some of that back with the penalties. I mean, you, no, you, agreed. Can't, I, you can't I, really dispute that considering... No, the scored on one of the penalties. I I don't dispute. Sorry, let me rephrase this. I don't dispute that the penalties are an actual issue. Like from if this it game. was any other player who took those penalties and it resulted in goals against, we would be for sure critical of them. And I think that for tonight, sure. I feel like tonight he was trying a little too hard to to be in the mix. Um, like he, but like you, he was at at five on five. By the way, seventy five point six nine expected goals no, for that, percentage. Yes, and. I acknowledge that, and that's what I said. Like, he was creating chances, got the assist, got got Raquel on the board. Like, he did good things. He was one of their better players offensively. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. defensively, this was – I guess maybe that's how I should frame it. Like, defensively, without the puck, this was one of his rougher games, I would say. I disagree. I think <laughs> – okay. no, no. Okay, I think fine. you can make the argument – I think you can make the argument for sure about penalties. I, I think penalties yes, are well, for that, sure well, an that, issue. I mean, that's that's what I'm lumping in here. Yeah, but I think if you're looking at defensive uh, chances against while on the ice, 0.22 expected goals against. Like, that's minimal in terms of that. On the ice for, let me see real quick, on the ice for, granted, 12.2, this is all score and venue adjusted, shot attempts against, but they were all, or no, sorry, that's Lundstrom, 6.87 shot attempts against to 11.664. So really just not that many shot attempts against while he's on the ice for like six, six shot attempts against in 12 minutes of ice time or 13.7 minutes of ice time. Yeah. Like I'm not saying he was terrible. I I just don't think this was one of his like better all around games. Like he was very good offensively. Very good. But I think this was one of his better games, but he needs to stop taking dumb penalties in in a single game. Like penalties matter a lot. I, I'm not disagreeing. I yeah. also think that there that's something that's easily cleaned up. If he doesn't sure. have the two penalties in this game, oh, does yeah, your then, opinion change on that? Absolutely. Like the penalties are part of the story. Like they are part of Agreed. What happened. I, I'm I'm just saying if you're if you're evaluating his game and trying to say how he played in this game. Yeah. I think I mean, simply ignoring penalties. Well, yeah, if you ignore things that happened that affected the game and only focus on other things that also happened and affected the game, then yeah, sure. Uh you know, he, well, he I'm was trying great. to eva- evaluate the way he played at five on five and, and project you, yeah. that long term. If you're if you're just totally throwing out penalties, then yeah, he had an awesome game, like like no doubt. I think that he had some thank defensive you. lapses. Thank thank you for acknowledging that. Well, okay, I will say this though the 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 first what was it the first goal against? <laughs> yeah, it was the first goal against. Like his back checking effort, I was not, not great. I was not too pleased with that. I thought that he was just. He just stopped moving his feet. Like, he just stopped skating back. And it was, it was like his controller kind of died uh, on the way back. And then the penalties. Um, and then there was one. Oh, and then that that turnover he had skating up the ice. I mean, 
I'm not as up in arms Here, about that as the commentary yeah, team is. Honestly, but I don't mind that one because at least he's trying something. What, what like, if maybe felt you with, don't try that? What it felt with Trevor Zegers in this game is that he was just everywhere. Like for good or for bad, yeah. he was just like everywhere in this game. Which and you saw is like, making an impact on the game. And you saw his reactions to like his penalties. Like he was up in arms at, at the I think it was the yeah. second penalty. Like he was just furious. And it's just funny because it's like that was definitely a penalty. Like no question. The trip was a trip. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I mean I, I guess maybe I'm being a little too harsh. I think maybe I, I keep a higher bar for him. But he was I mean, he was still extremely impactful and I will not deny that. So I mean, um, yeah, point six eight expected goals four to point two two against By I also, the way, Sonny oh. Milano. Yeah. 0.05 expected goals against when he was on the ice. Well, this is the thing, and this is something we haven't talked about yet, is Ricard Raquel being back in the lineup. True. Actually, yeah, we probably should talk about that a little bit, seeing well, as now I mean, we're Ricard, over an hour in. Ricard Raquel gets a centering pass from Zegris and just puts it perfectly inside the right post. I mean, off of one leg, like, like it was not an ideal shot for Ricard Raquel, despite being in the slot. Like He was kind of off balance. Moving kind of away from the net. Yeah, and he just wrists it perfectly into the net. Like, it was just an elite shot. And, I mean, look, his presence on that line, you saw it in spurts in this game. It's going to make a huge difference moving forward for I'm, Deloria. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, especially if they don't play a team. I'll give Nashville credit here. Um, Nashville played a really solid defensive game in, the, in a way to stop the Ducks in transition. Mm-hmm. I feel like if the Ducks end up playing a team that's a bit more open, which to be honest, Colorado honestly is that Colorado can generate yes. chances. Well, we saw it uh, last more year. than you, <laughs> but yeah, Colorado is pretty open. So I feel like the Colorado game is going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially with it with Brickell with Zegers. I think Terry, I think Terry gets back on the board against his hometown I mean, team. Doesn't Terry love scoring against the abs? I feel like he, he does. does. Maybe I mean, I'm last year, narrative. He, he had the highlight real goal last year. Um, that's right. Colorado. He scored in, he scored in the, the wild wing reverse retro. Yeah. And also the ducks were wearing their third Jersey on the road and he scored as well. No, it was so. a wild wing Jersey. He got one with the, with the third Jersey as well. Oh, maybe I'm, I'm not, maybe. I'm not misremembering this cause I've seen this highlight like a million times, but, uh, the point is that Ricardo Kell returned and I, I guess what were your impressions of him? Um, of, he looked very Kell. good. Yeah, I mean, he I looked he, very, very good. He looked um, like there were a couple of plays. Yeah, there were a couple of plays where he he ended up being the guy that got double shifted and being put out there with. Uh, I think he was out there with Lundstrom and Silverberg at one point, mm-hmm. and you could just see how much more offensive talent he has than those two. And that's not necessarily meant to be a knock on them, but in the offensive zone, he just has the puck on his stick, and it's just like I, I feel like we may have forgotten because yeah. the Ducks went on the eight game winning streak without him. Well, and that's the a, process that, started to improve yeah. that I feel like people forgot just how good Ricard Raquel was or is. Well, that's the thing that kind of underscored the the winning streak for me is the fact that they were missing Ricard Raquel, that they were yeah. playing that well, winning all these games without a guy who is a difference maker, like you're just saying. And yeah, I think that, you know, t- tonight showed that how much of a difference maker he can be. And we're going to see that moving forward, how much of a difference this guy makes, because you got to, you got to think about again, like it, I feel almost bad harping on Nick Deloria this much. It's not really his fault that the coaching staff is choosing to put him in that position. Yep. But the, the, the gap between <laughs> Nick Deloria and Ricard Raquel in offensive ability, it's a very, very big gap. And so to put a guy like him on that line with Milano and Zegers, you see what they can do just between those two, just between their own playmaking and now you have another guy who can keep up who has 
I would say the best shot on that line, that's going to open things open things up quite a bit. And it's also going to make it so that the Ducks don't have to rely on the Getzlaff and Terry combo quite as much because that's another big thing that yep. they probably want to get away from a bit. Yep, and I think if you're looking at a long-term value perspective for Ricard Raquel, I think playing with Trevor Zegris is the right decision, especially with Trevor Zegris starting and breakout. I mean, if if these types of games can happen, I mean, this this just helps Ricard Raquel's trade value, to be honest. And so yep. from that perspective of long-term planning for this franchise, and also not only that, and, and I know some people will say, why can't you talk about him without discussing trade value? Sorry, Bonnie. Um, but <laughs> I think from the perspective of... From Raquel's perspective, this is also great for him because this is a big season for him. Like the like, I don't think we've talked about it enough. Where this is the big contract for Lindholm, for Raquel, for Manson. These are the deals where they're gonna try to, to make essentially the, enough money for the rest of their lives. Yeah, like this, that is what this contract is. And so, if you're looking at this from essentially being a fan of Ricard Raquel and wanting him to be set, wanting him to be happy for the rest of his life. Him being in this position is fantastic for him to be able to get paid as what he's worth or, or what he's worth based upon how the NHL is. So I'm happy for him that this is happening because I hope he can score a bunch of points and get paid because he seems like a really good dude. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he loves dogs. We know that for sure. Yeah. So there you go. Um, don't say we aren't. We don't like Ricardo Calabani. Is there anything you want to touch on or should we start diving into some questions? I think we should start diving into some questions. So. I think we got some on Twitter, but it happened a while ago. So my apologies. People send me, mention me for questions yeah. for the pod and yeah. it's days ago and it's hard for me to find. If you want to ask a question on Twitter, the best way, honestly, to do it, my DMs are open. Shoot me a DM. I'll, it's much easier for me to go back and look at my DMs than for me to look at my mentions. Wow, so Jake, Jake, just, uh, uh, Jake, just kind of flexing a little bit here. That it, Was that, his, that a flex? His, his notifications are so crowded. That that you know, just DM him. I mean, but I mean, yes, they are. D- d- please, they, DM they him. G- generally actually are. <laughs> um, they've started going that way. But yes. Um, so let's get into some questions from Twitch. So, but for those of you on YouTube, yes, YouTube.com/slash Crash the Pond. Go like, go like, go subscribe to us there. It's a good time. You can watch the video version of the show. Uh, obviously, all your podcast services. But go to Twitch, Twitch.tv/slash Crash the Pond. You can uh, help support the show. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you get a one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. Um, I believe you can actually do it for multiple months in a row now. That's something new. But you can be just like Odog81 who resubbed for nine months in a row saying Raquel picked up where he left off. And I believe our good friend ah, was before we canceled the stream and then brought it back up. I believe Lewis also resubbed. Uh, so thank you to, to all of you. Um, you can also follow us here. And if you follow us on Twitch, you get notified when the stream goes live. Yeah, so throw do, in your question. When we do Halo streams? Yes, we, we did Halo <laughs> streams. And, and yeah. you will get notified when those goes those go live. Maybe we'll do a Warzone stream again. Maybe we can get a glorious clip like was brought to my attention again by Green Bastard that a uh, Felix saying I'm coming in hot and then doesn't pull a shoot. Um, <laughs> very great clip. One of my favorite of all time, honestly. <laughs> from uh stuff that we've done but let's get into some questions throw in your question in the twitch chat we'll get to them saying uh dalton keys said question with the assistant coaches coming in and having success how much responsibility do you think uh, eakins has like what is he in charge of well i think that despite the fact that they have these assistant coaches he's still the one that has the final say on everything he is the head coach he's still the one that 
that, you know, his, his word is, is the final decision maker. And so I think that he is still in charge of the line combinations. I still think he's in charge of who goes out at different points in the game. I still think he's the one, he's the main voice on the team. Dallas Akins is still very much in charge, despite the fact that yes. And I think smartly he has given a lot of credit to his assistants, but make no mistake. The head coach is still the head coach here. Yep. And I agree with that completely. And I mean, you and I have been some of the most critical people of Dallas Akins. And I think that if we're going to be critical when he's making poor decisions, I think we also have to give him credit and the process has improved and he deserves credit for that. Yeah. And so, and so that's the thing, like, I I guess just to that question, if you, if you want to look at how the ducks have succeeded this season, part of that is some of the good decisions that Aikens has made, like gets left Harry tries to Lindholm. Like there's Mm -hmm. a few things that he's really keyed in on that have really worked. And so we do have to give him credit for that. Yep. Uh, O-Dog81 says, question, if all the Ducks players were healthy right now, what are your optimal lines, including Ooh. power play? Ooh, okay. Ooh, this is tough. I'm going to have to pull up the so, old cap friendly. I, I think Henrique uh, gets off Terry has Still to a lock. be a thing. Still a lock. I, I, th- I, I honestly think the top six from tonight's game is the top six that I would do. I think that the only big difference is really, so I think the third line is probably Jones, Lundestrom, Silverberg. If well, I guess we're, we're forgetting Comtois. So I guess where does Comtois fit? Ooh, that is a juicy question. <laughs> I mean, I would honestly maybe do this. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I I like Henrique with Getzloff and Terry, but I would honestly Uh-oh. give Comtois another shot there and do Comtois, Getzloff, yeah. Terry when, yeah. when Comtois is healthy. Do Raquel, Zegris, Milano. Mm-hmm. Then go uh, Henrique, Lundestrom, Silverberg. Jones... Uh, Carrick, Jones, Carrick, Steele. I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, like I think that's actually that's actually not a horror. Like that's actually a pretty solid enough. Like especially the top nine. The top nine's actually pretty good. Well, I think that the thing with Contois is that you really want to have him on a line where his scoring ability will be optimized. And if he's on a third line with Lundstrom and Silverberg, it's it's similar to what I was saying earlier about Perot. It, it's just not going to be. And so getting him on a line with Getzlaff and Terry or Zegris and Milano, like that's just going to put him in a better spot and hopefully insulate him some defensively. So yeah, I think that that, that'd be a really, like that'd be a a solid forward unit. If like, yeah, those four lines are solid. With with where the development has gone for some of these players, that's a legitimate like forward unit for an NHL team. Like that is not like, yeah, that's developed into a good group. Yeah, like, which he, is even, not something we would have said like a couple months ago. Because even that fourth line, it, it's not terrible. Like it's not, it's still a fourth line. It's still not like your best players in the team. But, but it's a good, it's a good fourth line. It, it's not just a total anchor like it was last year. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like comparing everything to last year always helps make things. And look the better. di, the di would leave the same. Yeah. That so defense. Well, actually, so this is something I want to ask you, Josh okay. Mahura. And Kevin Shattenkirk just don't work together. I would like, probably do Benoit there overall, but I mean Benoit's been in and out. But even even the Benoit and uh, Shattenkirk pairing is not good this season. Like like it's better. It's better. What, what else are you gonna do? I mean, I think there's a, a card to play, which is Benoit and Mahura. Just just give that a try. Play like, Benoit on the right side. I mean, like the, the thing you with, could. The thing with Shattenkirk is that I I do think that. 
you know, like, look, he's got some offensive ability. He's he's picked up the points, but his two way game has really taken a step back this season. Like what, he's just what's he's funny been poor. is you. What's funny is last season he was yeah. actually legitimately good. Didn't and have you the and points. I defended him. Yeah, didn't have the points, but we defended him. This season it's the opposite. Everyone's giving credit because he has the points, but when he's out there, the Ducks are just getting killed, and that is a that is the weakness of this team right now, or a weakness of the team is the fact that their third pairing is not a value add, and like. Just try something to see if if you can get that turned around. I mean, you don't really have any options in San Diego. Hopefully, I don't get killed for that comment. Um, I don't know. I who, mean, you've got I, Goo- I mean, you've got Gooley, you've got Axel, Cody Anderson. Curran. Oh God, now I feel bad. You could call up Cody Curran. There you go. There I you mean, go. Just try something. Like it, it feels, it feels almost sacrilegious to say to scratch an actual NHLer in Shattenkirk for like these guys who are unproven, but. It's just not working right now. Like, just try something. See if just mix it up. So Austin yeah. Price is saying, "Why not Fowler with uh, with Jamie?" Uh, I would be interested to see that. I mean, I, um, I, think, I think that top four is interchangeable. Like, you could mix yeah. it up and it would still work. Um, but it's working right now, so there's not like this big. Like, there's just no reason to change it. I guess. Yeah. By the way, power plays. I think power plays. I, I think the first unit tonight's pretty optimal. Look good. Look good yeah. and is I, optimal. I think just, the second second unit I would do what would it be it would be Fowler, uh, Fowler Terry. I wouldn't do Shattenkirk out there anymore. Well, I would actually. put I would put te- uh, Terry on the first unit. And here's who would the, you take off Milano? Well, here's the thing I would do um, that that would be different is I would just not really care about the second unit. Just play the first unit almost the entire two. Who, minutes. who would you take off the first unit for Terry? Probably Milano. Because okay. as, as much as I like Milano, I feel like he might be a better five-on-five player than a power play guy. Well, the only thing that I noticed with Milano is he was being used in the net front presence, and I don't necessarily think that's where you want Terry, but you could have Raquel go there if you need it. Yeah, or you could just have a power play where you don't necessarily You don't have need a, a net front presence? A true net front guy. That's yeah, true. You, like, like, that's it's, a good not point. A re- it's not a requirement. Um, yeah, yeah I, I feel like the Ducks have really tried to have this kind of even spread between their two units in terms of uh, ice time. And I, I think they should go away from that a little bit. They have a top unit that's clearly has all of the talent. Just play them the most and, yeah. and worry about it later. Yep. All right. So uh, Lewis X 209. This is not a question. It's not even something he meant to be said, but I figured I would say he said, shout out to the new food channel on the discord, which yes. you created as yes. I was on a conference call today. I had a bunch of notifications. Yes. You wanted chaos. <laughs> well, okay. So the reason this happened is because well, in our ho- in, in our hockey talk channel, it just was getting out of hand as it usually does about food. And Hey Yo Deflo made the suggestion of, well, let's create a, a food channel. So I, the I, only time that I ever see several people are typing is either <laughs> if there's like a game or it's food. It's yes. one of those two. <laughs> God. Okay. So there's that. So there, we'll, we'll talk more about the Patreon in a bit. But Raquel's yeah. goatee said, uh, do you think Sonny Milano can play himself into the Ducks' long-term plans? I think he has. I think he has, yes. I, I think so. I, he. It's not just like the production. He looks good out there. He's making things happen. I love I love his instinct for just get the puck into the middle of the ice. Like He's always looking to center the puck, and that is a really great trait when you're playing with guys like Zegras and Raquel. So, yeah, I think he has. I think he was always in that spot, but injuries and whatnot happened. So, yes, I think that that is where things are trending. 
Chris Kindred, reading my mind from kind of a point I made earlier. Seeing Lindholm on the power play and Deloria in the top six, do you believe that these moves are made to increase their trade value? And if so, would you rather Ducks put their pending UFAs in favorable positions to increase their trade value or just let the kids play in these spots? It's an interesting question. Um, It's tough. I, I think you can make a case either way. Uh, you, you could say, well getting those pending UFAs in better spots gets you a better return, and that better return is going to help the younger players long-term. Or you could say, well, it doesn't really matter if those guys are in good spots. You would just rather see the kids in those positions. So I could kind of see it either way. Um, But I just think that the problem with a Delorier in that spot, for example, is that it just... He's not going to play in that role when he gets traded. Exactly. It, it just doesn't work. Like, it, it's too out of character. Same thing with Lindholm. Like, it, it's got to be a reasonable step up in usage. It can't just be something that's so out of whack. Um, so I guess if I had to pick a side on that, I would say just let the kids play in those spots. Yep. Uh, and then we got this question uh, from the Honey Badger. longtime listener of the show. There's a couple yeah. of these names that end up popping up where I'm like, these names go back to when we were <laughs> you've on been, you've been reading You've been reading these off for a while. <laughs> yeah, Honey Badger is one that goes back to Mixler. Um, and so he said, can we use a time machine Ooh, on Zellweger so he can on. play for us right now? Okay, well, I'll answer the question. But we have an update on Henrique. So, um, oh, okay. Can we use a time machine uh, yeah, I mean, he would probably help them right now. Uh, but I do want to see them sort out that third pairing, though. Like, I feel like there is something to be had there. Um, oh, okay. So, Olin, Olin Zellweger, just for everyone out there, has 15 points in 14 games. Yeah, I mean, he's playing in the, amazing. In the WHL. But that's yeah. where he should be right now. Like, I, I don't know yeah. how he would do in the NHL right now. I mean, he's barely 18. <laughs> yeah. So, here's the update from Eric Stevens. Ducks expecting to be without Adam Henrique for their next game at Colorado on Wednesday. Hearing from multiple sources that Henrique has a dislocated pinky finger and will fly back to Orange County. He'll be evaluated again, so it isn't known right now how long he could be sidelined. Um, and that's it. So, I mean, there's something about, like, he didn't take a shift after the second period. But the point is, dislocated pinky. Uh, I've never dislocated it's a at finger. Least one, at least one game. At least at, one game. He's out of game. Um, I feel like that doesn't sound that bad. Like, I feel like if it was the playoffs, he'd be playing through that. <laughs> um, yeah, you put a you put a stint on it, or you tape two fingers together. Yeah, so I feel like this might not be long term, depending how they want to play it. Which may be the perfect reason to call up Jacob Perot. Well, yeah, because now you know for sure that you're not going to have to get anywhere near the nine games, uh, or I guess ten games. So. Yeah, maybe that's that's the case to bring up Perot. Um I mean, but, honestly, Colorado is a perfect opportunity because Colorado, for as good as they are offensively and good just overall, they yeah. do allow chances. And they, they've also not been that good this season. So Oh, this season, no. But they have been yeah. better of late because they've started getting their guys back. They've had a lot of guys hurt to start the year. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this is the time to, to do it. Um, I mean, they should just probably do it anyway. <laughs> regardless by the way want to give a shout out Raquel's goatee uh resub for 13 months saying Raquel's 30 goal uh 30 goals incoming so want to give him a shout out have you ever dislocated uh, a, a finger I no I've never dislocated or broke dislocated anything or broken any bones I've been Same. lucky I've never been stung by a bee oh I've been stung by a bee first time I ever got stung by a bee was like in second grade and it stung my cheek Ooh, that sucks oh oh 
Oh, yeah. that sounds awful. Vividly, vividly remember it. It was oh. miserable. Oh God, that sounds terrible. Yeah, it was like second grade. It sucked. Uh, <laughs> Dalton Key says, <laughs> "Question: Who makes the Ducks roster sooner, Zellweger or Pasajov?" Uh, I'm gonna go. Actually, I'm gonna go Pasajov just because Zellweger. It's Pasaj- Yeah, Zellweger. Well, it's also, there, there's a ton of there's a ton of runway still for him to develop, whereas Pasajov Z- is older. Zellweger's. Zellweger's younger, Passajov's older, even though they're the same draft. Zellweger's yeah. very young for this draft. Passajov, I believe, I need to double like look into this in depth, but mm-hmm. I believe he's eligible for the AHL next year um, because he was not actually playing in the w- in the OHL prior mm-hmm. to this year. So at the time of being drafted, um, he was not an OHL player, which is why he was also going to go to the NCAA. Right. And so um, because of that, he is actually not, or the CHL, uh, NHL transfer agreements do not apply to him. So he is actually AHL eligible next year. So I kind of would expect him to be there um, next year, especially if he torches um, the CHL. I think that, which, that might be the next likely destination. Yeah, yeah, we, that 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 might be the next li- uh, next likely destination. I mean, let me look it up right now because I believe uh, I want to get his numbers correct because he is destroying the uh ohl and now granted we've obviously seen in recent history aka sam Steele, guys that torched uh juniors after their draft season so but was sam Steele draft plus two no it was draft draft plus plus one draft plus two was not as good as draft plus one draft plus one was better well passage off has 31 points in 18 games well the thing with passage off is that he is lining it up and i think kind of he's scoring he's creating the goals for himself as expected, but the thing is, like, the weakness is still the skating, and I that probably hasn't completely changed in the you know the small amount of time he's been down there. Well, so, but I to, think I think he's proving at a higher level he's able to kind of bypass the the skating and be able to still create chances and create goals for himself by scoring eighteen goals. Yeah, because we talked about this a little bit with Sam Steele with the fact of is that a junior goal or is that a, a goal that's translatable? I think one thing that's translatable is being able to find the space to create your own shot and being able to get that shot off. And I think that's one thing Pastajov's been able to do. God, seeing that thirty one and eighteen is just it's just he has 18 goals and it's just gross like how yeah yeah it, it so. it's insane how how he's producing and i mean he also could end up being a complete steal in, I mean, in the third round i think at a bare minimum a guy this productive is is gonna play in the nhl like you don't know how good he's gonna be but he's gonna play yeah like, so it, sam Steele, by the way had a sam Steele. yeah and his draft plus one year 131 points in 66 games yeah. So a little bit of a cautionary tale there to, yeah. to buy too much Cause, into cause, this. Because if we had been doing this podcast at that time, would we have been saying the same thing, right? 100, um, we definitely would have. And I guess my statement would still hold because Sam Steele is an NHLer, not a that not is That awesome is true. <laughs> like that, I mean, that's the thing is Sam Steele is an NHLer. That's but the, better the, than some people from that draft. Also, I think it's important to note, though, that Sam Steele was a first-round pick and Pasajov is a third-round pick, so... True. The the bar is a little different for both these guys um, in terms of expectations. True. So, True. I don't know. I mean, I'm. I, I think the thing with Pasajov is he probably shouldn't have been a third round pick. Uh, if you look yeah, at how productive he should have been a was. first round pick. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I I do want to pump the brakes on that just slightly because, like you just brought up with Sam Steele, 
points are not I'll, always. I will be very curious when uh, Byron Bader updates his yeah. hockey prospecting model. In oh, December. I mean, he's he's gonna be right up there. I guarantee it. He he's gonna be up there. I'm curious where where Zellweger's at. I'm curious where Jacob Perot is gonna end up at. Well, yeah, because Perot is making up for lost time last year. He is yeah. going off. Mm-hmm. So, yep. I think that's all we've got for today. Yep, that is it. Okay, well, here, I'm going to give you, before we head out, I'm going to give you a few different ways that you can support our show. So the number one way that you can support us is to check out our Patreon page. So patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now you have three tiers of monthly pledges here. The first tier is just $1 a month. If you pledge us $1 a month, you will get access to our patrons only discord chat, which has become the best ducks community on the internet there i said it it's a hot take but it is the correct take we've got great people in there people that are just diehard ducks fans that are there to just talk about the games there's no bad blood there's no arguing it's just a great place to be and that's not i mean like for example twitter it's not what you're going to get on twitter for the most part um everyone's just there to have a good time we have a, like we were just talking about earlier we have a new channel on discord there the food channel so if you have uh some hot takes about food like our good buddy Lewis, who, I mean, the amount of just insane takes he was putting out today, I just couldn't even keep up, to be honest. Just so bad. Um, also, also real quick, there's a gaming channel in there, which Felix yep. and I have used to find people to play with us as we're, yeah, we're so, playing Halo. Yeah, so if you're a gamer, if you're someone who plays, like, we are playing Halo now because it just came out. So, yeah, you can you can hop in with us, get in on some games, and our good buddy JC, who, who carries us a bit. Um, yeah, we had Nate uh, Nate from Discord jumping with us yesterday, so good time. Yeah, exactly. So that's all just for a dollar a month, and honestly, it does still go a long way, and I think you will get a kick out of it, especially as the games are happening, jumping in and chatting with everyone. Now, for $5 a month, you get access to that chat, but you also get access to two bonus episodes. So we do four regular shows a month, but on these two bonus shows, we get more in-depth on different Ducks topics, league-wide so we'll do league-wide rankings position rankings picking our awards winners and also as a patron we have a channel in the discord that is just for patron suggestions so you can throw in your own recommendations of what you want us to talk about and we we will get to it we should by the way for the third because this month we're doing three Mm -hmm. uh because of only being able to do one because i was on vacation last month Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um we should do a completely off-topic episode (laughs) <laughs> we might we might we'll see we'll see what what comes our way that those those episodes are a lot more off unfiltered they can also be off topic so if you just kind of want a a magic box here of, you don't know what's going to happen well then i would recommend the bonus episodes now for 15 dollars a month you get access to everything i just described you also get access to two watch alongs a month so this is where we do a live feed of a Ducks game. So as you're watching the game on your own TV, monitor, whatever, you're watching with us, you get our live commentary, you get a private YouTube chat where you can throw in whatever you want, comments, questions, what have you, give you a different look as we're doing these breakdowns, um, give you more stats on the fly, which is kind of our brand at this point, um, and just give you a different feel than what you might usually get from a traditional hockey broadcast. So that's all of that is at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Now, another way that you can support us, which is totally free to you, is you can search us on Apple Podcasts and you can leave us a rating and a review. This goes really far in supporting the show. It helps us climb those rankings. And also, we just love to hear from you guys. And thankfully, this week, Jake, we have three 
new reviews to read out. Wait, we have three? Well, there's one that I don't know if we read last week. So I'm I'm, I'm lumping the one it that, in. The, the, the short but sweet one? I think we actually did read it now that I'm we remembering. We did. We did. You okay. can read it again. You know, give them credit twice. It's not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Nothing wrong with that. So we've got three new reviews. Um, and so, yeah, if you leave us a rating and a review, we will read it on the show. So this one from D-Way last week. I already read it, but said good podcast. Five stars. Nothing wrong with that. Short and sweet. Get right to the point. Now, this one from Tenacious G 85 This is from Great Britain. So awesome to hear that people are listening across the pond helping us crash the pond on this side of things. Um, Being a Ducks Ducks fan from Scotland, it can be difficult not to feel out of touch. This podcast keeps me up to date and feel connected with great content. Absolutely love the use of stats and data to analyze the performance of player and team and give great views on all things Ducks from, and I'm obviously paraphrasing, just stop playing Grant to let Zegers play and who knows what game Dallas Aikens watches (laughs) <laughs> it is great to sit back and enjoy hearing the pod's views. Obviously, here for the Ducks content, which is top-notch, but could not leave without saying that Felix and Jake managed to keep me entertained through many a work card journey with bonus material such as, this list is certainly not exhaustive, Felix's bad takes on food. Some there you never, go. It just has to be mentioned. What is it with <laughs> these people? Um, some I've never heard of in Scotland. Uh, yeah, I'm imagining there's no in and outs in Scotland. Uh, or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, Jake's inexplicable love of Spurs. I love that he censored out the U in Spurs. He he didn't want to pop up in, in searches. <laughs> Felix is I hating. It. I love it. Felix is hating on all things Sweden. How did that become a narrative? I don't understand that one. Like, I've seen other people say this. I, I just, I don't understand it. Um, Jake's love of <laughs> wrestling, the beer league, and last but certainly not least, Salem Watch. Keep up the great work. Hashtag the ducks are very good. This you buried was, the lead. You buried the lead that the top of it was hashtag crash the pond is very good. Yeah, that one of my favorite reviews of all time. This this is an all timer. Yeah, um, definitely just, an all timer right there. It, hitting all the right notes, and then the last one here from Pizzy Pizzy ten eighty four, also out of Great Britain. Always a great listen as the title five stars. Not always easy keeping up to date with all things ducks. Being in the UK, the guys cover pretty much everything in an easy to listen way. Great weekly listen. For those who don't follow the Ducks, it's always worth tuning in to hear them discuss views on wrestling and food as a side issue. So thank you very much, guys. I feel like we have a brand. I I think our brand is mostly Ducks, like 90% Ducks, and then 5%. Let's go go 9% food and then 1% wrestling. Can I give the 1% wrestling right now? Oh, God. Didn't watch Survivor Series yesterday, but looked like it was trash. I will say this. The people that bring up the wrestling clearly listen to the entire episode because you have to get to the end. It's always in the questions. Sometimes you bring it up in the very beginning like you did on the last show, which I apologize to everyone who had to deal with that. Wait, when did I do that? So, no, two shows ago. Yeah, because I made it. I have returned just like The Rock. Yes, exactly. But that was a wrestling reference, which not everyone is is here for. So I had to point it out. I had to call it out. A Rock reference is like a is like not a real ref, wrestling reference, though. Everyone knows who The it's Rock a, it, is. Come on, it, it's a casual casual reference. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a casual reference. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks so much, guys, for the kind words. These kind of reviews are honestly great motivators for us we just love hearing from you guys and we're glad that you enjoy what we are doing here like that our quirky crazy sense of humor plus that our analysis that you enjoy that that someone else enjoys that it's always great to know 
and that'll keep us moving forward. Now, a couple other ways you can support us. Find us on Spotify. Yes, we're also there. So if you're not an Apple person, totally fine. Make sure that you're following us on there. Subscribe. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe there and also turn on your notifications. Love reading the YouTube comments. Jake will respond to all of them. I will read them and be amused by them. But Jake will be the one responding. I'll respond to all of them. I respond to like <laughs> half. Okay. Well, hey, still, still, still. Um, so that's all at youtube.com slash crash the pond. A couple other ways you can support us. Go to our website, crashthepond.com, and check out crashthepond.com slash shop. Yeah, we got an order the other day for a hoodie, and I don't have the name in front of me, but shout out to you, person who ordered a hoodie. Oh, Jake's going to pull it up. I love this. I, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get there very quickly. Let, I let think me I see. Can, I think I have it in my email because we both get emails on that. Um, uh, let's see. Sarah. Yes. Not so going to say out. her last name. Yeah, we're... Yeah, let's just read her, her mailing address here. Um, shout out to Sarah for ordering a hoodie. We appreciate you that you are willing to rock our logo, our beautiful logo of Crash the Pond. Yeah, really, and if re- you want to, if you want to rep the podcast that you love at a Ducks game, you can. Yeah, do that exactly. Now. Yeah, absolutely. The rule is, if you buy one, you have to wear it at a game, though. Sorry, those are the rules. Yeah, um, Nick. Nick, if you ever listen to this, I'm looking at you. If you have our apparel, you must wear it at a game. Like you can take it off. At intermission, but you you gotta at least get it out there a little bit. Um. Anyway, so that's all at crashspawn.com/shop. We got t-shirts, hoodies. Hey, it's getting a little cooler. Although right now it's it's hot as hell because of the stupid Santa Ana winds. Um. But that will go away at some point. And uh, as it gets colder, or if you don't live here in Southern California, if you're over in Scotland, it's probably cold as hell. I would imagine. Um. So grab a hoodie. I mean, it probably won't be enough to fully protect you, but good materials. And I'm going to end the podcast. This is how we're ending the podcast. Oh, this, this is how it's ending. Yes. Our good friend CJ is in Hawaii and just tweeted out. If you have the ability to watch 10 to 12 feet manta rays do flips literally inches below you at night on the big island, you have to do it. One of the best experiences I've had in my life. There you go, folks. I don't even know what to make of that. If you have the ability to watch 10 to 12 foot manta rays do flips literally inches below you at night. On the big island, you have to do it. <sighs> okay. I'm still trying to understand what is actually happening here. I'm trying to like CJ's in Hawaii. This. Yeah. I, C- let's just C- end it CJ's there. Hawaii is in Hawaii and under C- the influence. C- like, CJ's living just, the life. Let's just call CJ's it what living it is. The life. CJ's not sober. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> have a great week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye.